0: Coming up on today's episode of An Older Gay Guy Show.
1: And some, I guess, uh, brave souls, when it got really hot, would take their pants off. And Well, you always knew who the military guys were. They were the ones wearing the white boxer shorts and everything, and
0: And good day, my friends. I am just in the best mood today. I'm really psyched for the weekend, and I'm really psyched to put out this episode for you today. In today's episode, we're going to continue with our series from Sergeant Ron talking about his military career. Today is part two of a five-part series. The other three parts will air in October, November and December. Now, if you've not heard any of Ron's episodes, he did a three-part episode series about his life as a gay prison guard, so be sure to check out those in the back catalog of episodes as well as part one of this series. Now, unlike my other interviews... I give Sergeant Ron the microphone and let him tell his stories in whatever way he would like. I don't interrupt with questions, I just let him talk. The subjects he talks about are not necessarily in chronological order, but rather he tells his stories as he recalls them, and they are certainly very entertaining. This episode is titled, Sergeant Ron, Gay Military Life, Part 2. I am Joey Hernandez. Thank you for joining me today. So, my fifth wedding anniversary with Paco is coming up next month. And as I peruse the internet for some cool gifts for him, my search often goes to adammail.com because adammail has everything I need for a wonderful celebration with my husband. And and as listeners of this show, adammail.com is offering you a special deal. 50 off. That's five zero percent off almost any one item and that includes free shipping right to your door. Go to adammail.com and check out their wide assortment of entertaining gear to make you ever so happy. Use the checkout code AOGGS, that stands for an older gay guy show. Use AOGGS for your amazing deal. And now, without any further ado, please give it up for Sergeant Ron.
1: As I mentioned before, right after basic training, I went to Keesler Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi. And it was the first time I'd ever been in the Deep South. And it was quite an experience, actually, you know, because... There was some, shall we say, racial tension and, and a lot of uh, <laughs> uh, prejudice, I guess you might say. I mean, uh, it was not unusual to uh, be walking into a store, and usually or a mom-pop type store, and you'd hear, Yankee, that type of thing. So I usually uh, stayed on base, as most people did. Now, Keesler Air Force Base was a great big training base, and uh, mostly for electronics. So most electronic people had gone through uh, the training in, at uh, Keesler Air Force Base, but they also trained uh, air traffic controllers. And then they also trained uh, pilots for certain types of aircraft and everything. And you had people from, of course, all over the Air Force, but also from the different services. and. Of course, the Marine Corps always looked sharp in their uniform and everything. But they also had people from other countries, I mean, that belonged to the military, and they'd be there to get specialized training, usually in aircraft. And I remember the first time I was at Keesler, there were the Vietnamese pilots and everything learning how to fly and kind of on the comical side because, uh, you know, the... (laughs) I guess it was partly because of the kind of aircraft they they flown. But, uh, you know, you'd see them going through the air, and it wasn't too steady, and it'd be going. And, and then if it got too close, we'd yell at each other, incoming, we'd look for uh, some place to Uh, take safety and take shelter and there was never any accidents as far as I know while I was there and everything but it it was interesting to see other people from other countries and everything and uh, but they said they always said if you stayed long enough in the air force especially if you stayed in electronics you would return to Biloxi Mississippi and of course the first time I heard it I said no way there's no way I'm coming back but Some six years later, I had to go back to uh, Keesler Air Force Base for some upgrade training. You know, in electronics, it's always uh, changing and everything. And you always have to have uh, refresher courses and learn the latest stuff. Or sometimes you had to have specialized training on uh, certain types of equipment and everything. And I always remember uh, when I was going back and everything. Well, I had already circulated uh, through the air. Force there, and I had met other uh, gay people, and then they would tell me uh, outside of New Orleans, uh, Bluff Mississippi, was about the the gayest place in the uh, deep South. And I said, "No way! I mean, this is a little hick town. It's redneck. It's uh, you know, they still have guys running around in sheets and everything." And that was very, very hard. But they did give me the address of. One of the discos there. So when I went back six years later, of course, I went to look it up. And uh, at first, I was really horrified because the, what I, they forgot to tell me is that they, this particular gay disco shared the same building with a country and Western place. And I might say this was, uh, this country and Western place was uh, definitely a uh, redneck and in the deep, deep South. And that's all I could see at first. But then uh, I figured out on the other side of the building was the entrance to the, uh, the gay disco. And it was quite fascinating because even though they shared the same wall, they never um, bothered each other. I guess the parking lots and everything were separated in such a way you didn't even see anybody. No matter how drunk anybody got, I, I guess uh, neither side ever bothered each other, which I found fascinating. Anyway, I can't remember the full name of the the gay disco and everything. It was a French name, but we gave it the nickname uh, La Bitches or something, or "El Bitches or something like that. And boy, what an experience that was. I mean, I never pictured anything like that in the Deep South. And you went in. It was not really that large. It only held maybe, at the very most, 400 people. But boy, on the weekends and stuff, was it packed. And that's they didn't have a live band or anything. That they were just was floor to floor and wall to wall guys and everything. And it was quite amazing to me. Well, the majority of the people were obviously from the military. They had just gotten out of basic training because they still had their shaven heads and everything. But All of them were in great shape and everything. A lot of them were wearing clothing that uh, they had worn when they first started. So it was uh, usually on the tight side and everything and gorgeous bodies. But you also had uh, other people from the base, such as from other branches of the service and everything. And then, of course, you had a lot of, strangely enough, college students that, came all the way in from Hattiesburg, which was about, if memory serves me correctly, about a three-hour drive. But there was, at that time, no gay establishment there in the capital of Mississippi. So the college students had to drive all the way down to Bloxy, Mississippi, if they didn't want to go all the way to New Orleans, I should say. And so that was a nice mixture. And then you also had guys that were from these little tiny hick towns you know, out in the country or something. You know, you didn't even see them on maps or anything, or they lived on some ranch or something, and they would come there. And it was a lot of fun talking to them. Half the time, I couldn't understand what they were saying. Their accents were so strong. But it was just incredible that on the weekends, La Vichia's was usually pretty well packed. And uh, unfortunately, the air conditioning kept breaking down. And this is the deep south, so it was very humid and warm. I was there during the summertime. So even though they left the doors open, it just used to really heat up with 400 guys in there dancing to The disco and everything. So, after a while, everybody would take their shirts off, and and some, I guess, uh, brave souls, when it got really hot, would take their pants off. And well, you always knew who the military guys were. They were the ones wearing the white boxer shorts and everything. And you know, everybody's just sweating like a pig. So, instead of having um a wet t-shirt contest we were having like a wet boxer short contest and <laughs> Uh, I never, myself, I, I never got that far. I took my shirt off, but that was as, as far as I ever got. But eventually I met the person that for the next 10 years I was to have a relationship with. It was a what we call a long distance relationship because as a military person, I kept going overseas. He was a military policeman. And he was connected with the uh, canine, and it was uh, kind of an interesting experience. I'll never forget our first night together. He, after asking me to dance, he took me home. And don't know, Joey, if you've ever been with a, a law, you know, policeman and everything, but uh, a military policeman is uh, quite a treat and everything. I still remember his face and everything going through, you know, the moonlight coming through the. Windows there and everything, but a lot of um, things went on. I had to go back in my 20 years in the Air Force. I had to go back about five times to Keesler Air Force Base, and it was always like a homecoming. And of course, I'd go see my my lover at the time, and we'd spend time together. And sometimes we'd go all the way to New Orleans, you know, and have fun there too. And eventually, we had our honeymoon. You know, 10 years later, we went to Washington, D.C., and that was quite an experience also. I um, I just, you know, over the years, I watched um, uh, uh Mississippi, you know, grow and expand. Eventually, they finally got a shopping mall and then another one. And uh, at one time, they had something like five gay bars in Blexi, Mississippi, which if you know anything about the Deep South, that was incredible. And uh, though, back then, they called them cruise bars. That was the more popular term. And then, uh, I guess it was a hurricane came through and knocked most of them down. <laughs> Except for a lot bitches. It, it stayed there for the longest time and everything. But I sometimes I just couldn't quite get over you know, how wild it would get there and you know once the the music got going and the heat the air conditioner would break down and pretty soon everybody's taking their shirts off and everything and and uh eventually you know it it, uh, didn't get you know past the boxer shorts usually but uh, some guys came real real close My military lover at uh, Keesler Air Force Base was a military policeman, and he was connected with the canine. And the the kennel that they had for the military dogs, there was about five of them, was uh, located uh, in the middle of a field, kind of away from everybody else, because number one, it would get smelly at times, but uh, number two, the dogs would bark all the time, and surrounding the kennel was a very large tall fence, and uh, he assured me that uh, nobody could get inside to the kennel without him knowing it because of the security system. And one time he took me inside to his office, and I was a little surprised to see a a military bed there, you know. It turns out that sometimes they have to work as much as uh, 48 hours, so they're allowed to sleep now and then, you know, take a little snooze before they go on patrol. And uh, so I made a a little comment. I said, so is that where you pick up your uh, prisoners and have your way with them? And he gave me this very bored look. And he said, only a dozen or so. As I said before, Keesler Air Force Base was a great big uh, training base, uh, mostly for electronics. But the students that were coming from Uh, basic training fell under a different set of rules and they actually had a curfew because they were still under training and of course occasionally he would catch one of these kids out after curfew and he was supposed to take them in and to the station there book them and then they would be processed through and then they would call their commander sometimes four in the morning and they would be in a lot of trouble. Now, I happen to know that my little military policeman, if it was your first time, yeah, he would scare you a little bit. He would put you in the back seat and you'd be handcuffed and uh, he would drive around and pretend like, man, you're, you're in all kinds of trouble. But in the end, he'd take you back to your barracks and said, hey, watch the time. Now, if this was your second or so time, if you were a constant uh, troublemaker, well, of course, he wouldn't give you a break. But he usually gave guys a break. But occasionally, you know, if the feeling was right, you know, he'd turn around and said, hey, you want to work it off? And uh, he would take them back to the uh, kennel there. And uh, after making sure everything was secured, he would just Point toward the bed and said, Okay, there it is. You know, drop your drawers and let's get at it. He said uh, he claimed the majority of them were definitely uh, virgins and everything. I was a little horrified at first when I heard about it, but same time, it was sort of erotic. Now, he did admit on two different occasions, the Guys were a little bit stronger than him, and he ended up being on the bottom, but he's looked at it like, you well, know, that's the way things go. Besides, I had fun, you know, but as it also turned out, quite a few of them wanted to come back, and he had a very strict rule, okay? It has to be before curfew, you have to be in your dress uniform, and you have to be wearing your jock strap. It seems like uh, some of them did come back. And oh, I forgot to say when it was their first time and especially if they came or anything. He would keep their um, boxer shorts as sort of a souvenir. And when he opened up his desk drawer one time and showed, yeah, there was about a dozen or so boxer shorts and everything. And I mean, it was kind of scary, but at the same time, kind of exciting. And as he always uh, told me, he said none of them ever were forced to do anything they didn't really want to do. And they had a choice. And I always thought, man, that, that would be really erotic. <laughs> I used to ask him, yeah, treat me like one of the cadets that's caught after a curfew. But, yeah. Well, Joey, I wanted to talk to you about my assignment to Eglin Air Force Base. Now, Eglin Air Force Base was my assignment after I left uh, Clark Air Base in the Philippines. So, technically, it was my very first stateside assignment. And as it turned out, for the next, what well, would say, 18 years, it was the assignment that I had the longest stateside. And I'm going to say right off the bat that Eglin Air Force Base was perhaps the worst assignment I ever had. But it wasn't really the fault of the base and everything. It was just I couldn't have picked a worse time to go uh, stateside. The Vietnam War had just ended. There were a lot of cutbacks in the military, and it was just bad all around and everything. There were no promotions at all for something like the next three years. So I was ever so glad when it was time to leave. But at the same time, there were a lot of first with Eglin Air Force Base. So, like I said, it was my first stateside assignment, first time I got to own a car, right in the middle of the Arab oil embargo, which was a lot of fun. And it was also the first time that I had uh, you know, made it with a man you know so a lot of firsts there and i of course had to learn what gay men did you got to remember i didn't know i didn't know anything about gay men i knew i was attracted to them but i had no idea what you did after that i didn't know anything about oral sex or anal sex
0: We will be back with Sergeant Ron in just a moment, but I wanted to take this opportunity to mention a couple of things, and I know (laughs) I picked the perfect time, right? Right after he says that. So first off, I want to say that all the voting in the 2020 Podcast Awards has been completed. The results will be done live on September 30th, which is International Podcast Day, the Podcast Awards ceremony will happen on Wednesday, September 30th at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time, and will be streamed live on PodcastAwards.com and InternationalPodcastDay.com as part of the International Podcast Day activities. And it will be simulcast on Twitter and facebook live now this is when i will find out whether i get my fourth nomination trophy or if life is going to be just remarkable and maybe 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 an actual winner's trophy in the lgbtq category either way i want to thank all of you that voted for me so very very much and thank you that you just took the time to vote and support this show. I'm going to create an awesome display in my office for the trophies, and I'll show that one of these days on an older gay guy show YouTube channel. In the next episode of the podcast, I think I'm going to try something that I've wanted to do for a very long time, and that is a show where I'm going to try ASMR, as a relaxation and sleep session. Now, ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. This name was coined in 2010, and it is a relaxing, often sedative sensation that begins on the scalp and moves down the body. It is kind of like a guided meditation. Many of you have been very kind and have commented on my voice over the seasons that I've done of this show, and that is part of why I want to use this technique to see if it's something that you will like. I'm writing the script for it right now, and I expect it will be out this coming week. And lastly, I've put all podcasts and YouTube channels other than an Older Gay Guy Show on hold, and I'll be dedicating the next seven months solely to an Older Gay Guy Show podcast and an Older Gay Guy Show YouTube channel. I'm confident that my content will be published more often for this show, so please do look forward to that. And now,
1: back to Sergeant Ron. There was so much I had to learn and everything, and I did learn it there, and I'm very thankful and everything. to my first time with a guy, and uh, basically what happened was I had met a, a person in my unit by the name of Greg, and uh, of course, he was amazed at me when he, one time, he was trying to tell me what he was, and he says, I'm G-A-Y, and I had no idea what he was talking about, <laughs> I still remember that confused look on his face. But But what he did is he introduced me to a lot of his friends. I was shocked at finding out there was sort of what I would call a gay underground. There were a lot of gay people in that area, but it was all kind of kept secret. Most of them were military. There were a few civilians. There were, I also, first time I met drag queens, and saw them perform. That was a whole new experience for me. I also met, uh, for the first time, uh, people that classified themselves as being bisexual, which was another new concept for me. And then the biggest surprise of all was the fact that there were people that were married, you know, men and women. Now, some of the men, as it turned out, had permission from their spouses to fool around with other men, or there was an agreement, you know, is what we call a marriage of convenience. And then the biggest surprise were those straight couples that weren't interested in You know, the man interested in playing around with another man, but rather they just enjoyed the company of gay people. And that was another new one for me. Now, of course, I'm going to talk about my very first time. Okay. I had met up with this guy named Greg, and he owned uh, the mobile home. we were later on. So I refer to him as my roommate, but in reality, we each had our own rooms and everything. I paid him rent. It was strictly, you know, a financial deal. It had nothing to do with love or anything else like that. And uh, eventually, though, I would see him with his friends, and sometimes his friends would talk to me and all this. And Greg also had a very large selection of what we would call soft Porn, You know, gay soft porn. And I found it really fascinating going through it. I mean, I couldn't believe what men could do with each other and still have fun. And then, of course, it was the first time I ever saw porn, uh, any kind of porn, actually. And, of course, you know, gay porn and all that, as well as straight porn. And that was also kind of fascinating. I Like I said, there were a lot of things I didn't know they did. A lot of people think Greg tried to take advantage of me. He never did. Like I said, our arrangement was strictly financial. One day, though, I decided I'd had enough. I took off all my clothing. It was a nice, warm Saturday night. We have, both happened to be home, and I... Just marched, you know, bare-ass naked into his bedroom, and he was there reading one of his magazines, you know, and looked up, a little surprised, and I said, can I get in? And he said, yeah, sure. And we went at it for the rest of the night. Now, I'm very, very lucky that my first time was with Greg because... Anybody else could have really, you know, it could have been a disaster or something like that. But Greg was very, very gentle. Uh, He didn't do too many things, though I was a bit surprised what could be done for some reason. However, we both fell asleep. And when I still remember when I woke up, the sun is just coming through the windows there. And I'm looking up at the ceiling going, is that it? Is that all there is? It wasn't Greg's fault or anything like that. It's just that I still had to learn a lot of things about myself, and reality, I I found out I wasn't really attracted to Greg physically. I was curious about his life, but technically, you know, he liked to keep his body pretty well on the effeminate side, nothing wrong with that, and then every so often, he liked to dress up and drag and compete with the professionals and all that, and that was a big thing for him, but it wasn't until a few months later that I happened to be with a guy by the name of Willie, and Willie was in my unit. He was also in the military, and uh, he was also Afro-American. And yes, he was really big in the front. Rumor's true, and he had the most beautiful butt. Oh, I still think about it, even to this day. And he had—he was a cook, so he wore a special white uniform, and you could always tell what kind of underwear he was wearing. And Willie sometimes uh, came over, and we, we would go at it for a while. He was very gentle at first, and everything like this, and... After a few times, he finally, you know, had me on my stomach and uh, popped my cork, as we say in the military, And, and believe it or not, it did not hurt. The first time and it was uh he knew what he was doing is what i'm trying to say he knew it was my first time and everything so he didn't try to uh stuff it down there and i do to this re- day remember how it was like if you've ever been punched in the stomach and knocks the air out of you but it doesn't necessarily hurt it Was sort of like that i still remember opening my mouth the whole way, you know, trying, trying to get air in and didn't understand what was going on and everything. But eventually, you know, I learned to enjoy it and everything and enjoyed it maybe a little too much. A little side story, though. Willie had to kind of teach me the harsh reality about, you might say, gay life and just living as a whole. I remember one time I happened to be on base, and I happened to be driving by the barracks where Willie lived. And so, of course, I couldn't help but to stop in. And and much to my surprise, when I got to his door, there were these three white guys. Now, two of them looked like they had just gotten out of the gym they were kind of on the wet side you might say like they'd been sweating they're wearing these really short short gym shorts they were too tight as far as i was concerned one had his tank top on and the other one well he didn't have any shirt at all and busy showing off his six pack you might say and the third guy was a military cop. And hes they're all looking at me, giving me these dirty looks. And it was like, what's your problem? So I went over and knocked on Willie's door. The door popped open all of a sudden. There's Willie bare ass naked. And I could see around him. And there's a white guy on his bed, on his stomach, you know, a stitch of clothing on and looking a bit annoyed. And Willie said, hey, how's it going? And I said, hi. I thought I happened to be passing by I'd say, I thought I'd say hello. And he kind of said, okay, see you later. And he slowly closed the door. And when I turned around, there's the three white guys, you know, smiling at me and saying, back of the line, bitch. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, I went about my business and everything after that. But, you know, later on, because Willie was a big friend of my roommate, you know, he was a big friend of Greg. And next time I saw him, he took me aside and he said, look, I only like to fuck white guys. I don't fuck my own kind. He says, if you ever see me with the brothers, I don't know you. He says, uh, they don't know about me. I prefer to keep it that way. And he said, but if I'm alone or you see other white guys, you're going to have to just go to the back of the line. I'm sorry. And, uh... Wow, <laughs> I guess that's all they want to do is, uh, you know, pop my cork, you know, and uh, that was it. But we, we remained friends and everything. It's just never did it again. And then eventually, yes, I had my very first boyfriend, I, you might say. He unfortunately was married and that caused all kinds of interesting um, problems and everything. I wanted to talk about like the first time I went to a, I guess you'd call it a, gay club now the very first one i went to downtown uh, fort walton beach wasn't really a, what you'd call a gay club it was what you might say a gay friendly and uh that was fascinating to me to see all the different types of people that would go there and seeing men dance with men and women dance with women and then yeah every so often i would get lucky or something like that take somebody home and Ray kind of taught me a big lesson about life on that though uh, Sometimes I'd go over and I'd go use the bathroom or take a shower or something. And when I would come out, you know, my bed would be empty where I'd, you know, because I had left the guy there or something. And then I'd go over to Greg's room and there's Greg just going at it. And he would look up at me and he says, I'm almost done with this one. And then he'd give me a number. Well, Greg liked to rate people, you know, and. He had like five different categories and this type of thing. I used to get real nervous. I used to wonder what he'd rate me, but you know, and he'd say, "Oh my god, this one is a 2 or something, you know. Good luck with this one or <laughs> but he, Greg, his favorite saying to me is "All's fair in love and war." Of course, while I never stole a, you know, overnight guy, uh, there were a few times where he kind of kicked somebody out of bed, and and I would take them to my bed, and and sometimes Greg wanted them back, and I say, mm, "All's fair in love and war." I I found out that I was very much attracted to the very muscular type guys and everything, and, and I had a lot more fun after that. I wanted to. Talk about another story. It's a little bit on the sad side, but somewhat humorous, I guess you might say. Uh, This took place during the bicentennial, if you remember that. You know, the military, all the branches of the military, kind of went crazy during the bicentennial. And, uh, you know, everybody had all kinds of special stuff, you know, special coins, special passports, all kinds of special stuff in honor of the Bicentennial and everything. And, uh, well, one day I came home from church, I remember, and Greg was having one of his parties where he invited all kinds of people over. And much to my surprise, uh, Greg introduced me to this one guy, he's very good looking, very Very muscular, was wearing tight shorts and a tank top, and he's what we call a dirty blonde. And boy, he just, I mean, he was like, hey, you're hot looking. And I kind of thanked him, you know. When I went to my room to change my clothes, he started following me in, and I was like, whoa, there, cowboy. Uh (laughs) what do you think you're doing? And he said, hey, I think you're hot. Let's do it right here. And there was like maybe 40 people out in our living room. I like, oh, my God, what are you doing? You know, and I said, hey, you know, I'm kind of tired. I need to lay down for a while. And they, maybe not right now. So, yeah, I was convinced since this guy was so incredibly good looking that my friends were playing a trick on me. It wasn't the first time though this what I would say would be kind of an extreme case well anyway uh, when I finally came out I was wearing my shorts and all that and the guy was came over and said hey you're going to be at such and such place tonight or can we get together or something and it was just that this guy was really moving real real fast and it was like hmm you know you're that you're good looking but there's got to be something wrong here so I'd say well I might be there I might not you know and he was you know and then usually i'd be too tired or something or i was just not in the mood or something and i wouldn't go and then my greg and his friends come running at me and yelling at me hey this guy was waiting for you he really wants to do it what's your problem so on and so forth and i said well why don't you guys you know knock off the, the jokes and everything but i just i wasn't too sure what i'm trying to say as time went on they even said, Well he, he was waiting for you, but he picked somebody up. And I said, Fine. And then roughly about hmm, I think it was about either November or December, can't remember which. And Greg came in, he was all elated and everything, and he said, He made it. He made made two hundred. I said, "What are you talking about?" And Greg said, "Well, you remember that guy we were trying to hook you up with, and all this." And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, see, he'd been caught by the military. He was getting kicked out of the military, so he decided before he got kicked out, and in honor of the bicentennial, he was going to fuck two hundred military guys, and no one would count. You know, he wasn't going to do anyone twice. It was all just." 200. And he said, he made it. He made it. And I, I was like, well, so that was the catch. He just wanted me to drop my pants there and bend over. And so I kind of coyly asked my friend, Greg, so what number were you? And he looked at me kind of disgust and said, well, I'm not that kind of person. I, I didn't go to bed with him. And he says, I'm not a whore. And I looked at him and I said, and I am. And he said, well, yeah, you go to bed with anybody. <laughs> Years later, years later, maybe 10 or 20 years later, Greg denies he ever said that to my face. But I kind of appreciate he was honest at the time. And now and then I always had a fascination. I wish I had been one of, you know, part of the bicentennial. FUT group or something but uh, uh, I'll never quite forget that it was kind of sad because he you know he was kind of bitter about it and uh, as I was to talk to some other people he was pretty rough about it and he didn't care if you were having a good time or not he just made sure that you know he did what he needed to do and that was it so it was kind of sad he was so good looking too Coming up in October will be part three of
0: this five-part series, and here is just a little teaser
1: of that episode. I realize I forgot to mention something, and that is my dick. (laughs) Um, I think
0: that pretty much sums up what you're going to be in for in part three. I will be back, my friends, in just a few days with that experimental ASMR episode. Until then, my friends, this is Joey Hernandez. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Bye for now.